As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest edition to hear that podcast. Growlin, Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Tuesday, a divisional round Tuesday, uh, as we are in. We're, we're moving. It's it's hard. We're, you normally, by this point, we're just we're full on the next game, and it's playoffs, so you'd think you'd be full on the next game, Jay, but I'm not going to lie. There is so much residual fun still coming out yes. of reaction and everything that has come of what went down at Paycor Stadium on Sunday and so many interesting conversations, so many things to analyze, so many things to laugh at, uh, that it has been there's still there's still a lot of leftovers uh that we feel like you, you gotta get through right now. It's just the whole town is sort of still buzzing about what what just happened. I think we started a trend on the the podcast, the walkout, because I'm seeing all the TV stations now asking for their what you should call the Hubbard play. And I think we were the first one to ask for submissions on that. So good to know people are are following our lead. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, you guys did what you guys do. Yes. Uh, you came through. So we are going to get to all the submissions. Jay and I are going to rank some of our top four, and you guys can kind of figure out what you think it should be. You've probably seen a lot of them by now that has been going around. Uh, but since we started it, we feel like we need to finish it and try to get to. There's a lot There's a lot of good ones to get through. We're going to get to that later. Um, also, we are going to have the most massive RB segment in history. There are so many stories behind the scenes things that have gone on <laughs> in the last 48 hours that we want to get to that I, we're going to set a record. I, I just kept listing Arby's. I was I had a note note section in my phone. I kept dropping Arby's in over the last couple of days and I feel like we're, we're just, you know what? Screw it. Let's just go all let's just go mass Arby's is what we're going to do later in the podcast. Looking forward to that. Uh Mo Egger will join us of course. We will get into that. Um prom- promotional uh, update, big, big news for those of you going to Buffalo. We're doing a home and home with Tyler Dunn of Go Long. If you came out to the 50 <laughs> West event, you know how much fun it was, how uh, great it was to chat with him, how good of a dude he is, and uh, so plugged in, such, such a great job over at Go Long. 
pod. And uh, so we're doing a live podcast with Tyler Dunn on Saturday night in Orchard Park. They're at the Orchard Park location of Fatty Beer Brewing Company, uh, 6 o'clock, Saturday night, Fatty Beer Brewing, Orchard Park, myself, Jay, Tyler, uh, uh, are all going to be together talking about the game for the next day. Come in, have some beers, have some pops with us. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Really looking forward to it. So if you're in Buffalo, looking for a place to have a couple of good beers and hear some Bengals talk and kick it, uh, come on down. Other surprises potentially in store that I think people from Cincinnati Ooh, will yes. specifically love, but I can only tease that to this point. I can only tease that other than I think a couple of very good surprises would also be there. You know what? This would be great because if you can get Bengals and Bills fans together, you've already got this um, th- this just cohesion and camaraderie between the fan bases, and it might get a little tense this weekend because they're they're playing to advance. But while we are recording that, the Chiefs will be playing the Jaguars, and I think both fan bases can be rooting against the Chiefs and maybe no come question. together a little bit. Uh, so I'm not sure. I've not been to this this brewery. I assume they have TVs. Uh, so another reason to come out and uh, maybe kind of bring the fan bases together before they, they scream at each other the next day. I scoff at a brewery without TVs. Come on now. Be better. That's what I say about that. Scoff. Major scoffage. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, okay. Let's let's dive right into oh other promotional. In case you haven't seen it, now we talked about it on the walkout. Uh, Jay's oral history of the Hubbard play to be named later in the podcast um, <laughs> is up. It's awesome. Jay stayed till like six in the morning so you could have that when you woke up. So massive applause for Jay for uh, being there for the shift change at the Waffle House which I've been calling it, even though you didn't actually go to the Waffle House, but you could have, and it would have been shift change. I, I, I've seen the shift change at the Waffle House. I would have fallen asleep. In my younger days, I've seen the shift change at the Waffle House. It's the <laughs> ultimate walk-in of shame when you see the morning crew showing up. But anyway, uh, shout out to Jay for that. Awesome work. Great read. If you want every single detail you could possibly know and quote you could possibly have about that play, it's all there for you. Uh Quick news, just because a lot of the news is going to be about our main topic, which is going to be the Bengals' offensive line. Jay, you have sad referee stats. I do. And I I want to preface this by saying nobody is accusing Carl Mm. Cheffers, who's going to be Sunday's Mm. referee, of of being – uh, a homer for the bills or anything like that. This is like uniform combo stats. They are, they are interesting, <laughs> but there's no, there's no cause and effect here. Um, but it is remarkable. And I, and I'm sorry, I should have written down the guy's name that asked me this. I, I did retweet him. Um, and he was wondering about Carl Cheffer's stats against the Bengals, uh, or when he does Bengals and bills games. And he's been announced as the referee Carl Cheffer, for this weekend. Yep. Yes, he has been announced for Sunday's game. Um, he he's been a referee since 2008. He's worked two Super Bowls. He did uh, he he did the 28 to three Super Bowl with the 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 uh, Patriots and the Falcons, and then he did Super Bowl uh, 55 last year. He did the uh, NFC championship championship game with the the Rams and the 49ers. So. Decorated ref. No, we're not trying to cast dispersions. Yes, you are. On Carl Cheffers. But <laughs> <laughs> he he has been the head referee for 16 Bengal games. They've won four of them. They are 4-10-2. and two. 
he did both the the London tie with the Redskins and he did the, the crazy <laughs> 37 37 tie with the Panthers in 2014. Um he did do the Titans game this year. So that that snapped he the Bengals were 0-4 and 1 in their previous five with Carl until they won that game in Tennessee. <laughs> but it gets worse. Uh the Bills are 11 and 4 when Carl Sheffers is the referee and they've won 9 straight. They wow. haven't lost to Carl Sheffers refereed game since 2011. Oh my God. Um it's it's pretty remarkable and one of those includes a playoff game against the Ravens um and then the the, the more recent ones this past season opener that Thursday night when we were at 50 West the uh, Bills Rams game that ruined the Rams trophy celebration uh and then on Christmas Eve he did the Bills Bears game where the Bills won easily so um, very, very interesting dichotomy there and in, in how these teams have performed with Carl Sheffers. And this does have relevance. Carl Sheffers' crews have thrown, have called more penalties this year than any other crew, and he only did 16 games instead of 17. So even when you look at total penalties, when you look at penalties per games, Carl Sheffers and his crew, number one. Wow. Well, now mixed crews in the playoffs, so who knows how yes, much the corporate right, still. Right. Carl oversees it. He says, throw those flags. That's what you want to hear. <laughs> Great. Uh, all right. Let's get into the story of the week, of the year, of the decade, right? Like uh, Bengals offensive line, right? How many times have we said topic A of the day on this podcast is Bengals offensive line current situation? I mean, it's, you know what? It's topic 1A for us all the time. It is the go-to one. And so in this moment, guess where we're going? We're going right back to it because it is it. It is the number one thing that you're talking about with the Bengals right now, and that is what happens next. How big of an issue is this now? Three starters down. Jonah Williams with a dislocated kneecap. Uh, Zach Taylor calling him week to week. Um you know, which means not this week, uh, and probably not in a couple of weeks. Uh, Alex Kappa had is still week to week with the ankle. Um, he's apparently rolling towels, grabbing towels with his toes or something like that. That's big news, I guess. Uh, Zach mentioned yesterday. Uh, Lel Collins, of course, with the ACL. Um, Andrew Whitworth officially said no publicly on Twitter. Uh, in case anybody's still wondering if Witt's going to come back. We said, if Jonah Williams goes down, you could yeah, see, left. okay, maybe. But Witt kind of just, he shot that down before it could ever gain any steam. That That's not happening as much as his heart would love to. Um, so that leaves you at left tackle Jackson Carmen, left guard Car- uh, Cordell Volson, center Ted Karras, right guard Max Sharping, right tackle Hakeem Adeniji. Let me ask you this, Jay, to kick us off. Would you take the five I just mentioned or last year's Super Bowl five of Jonah Williams, Quentin Spain, Trey Hopkins, Hakeem Adeniji, or Isaiah Prince? Um, I think I would take option C. Um, I'll get to that here in a second. But directly to your question, I, I would go with this current group. Um I, I think Ted Karras uh, is the, the heart and soul of that line, and I, 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 I would, I would definitely take that group over last year's group, uh, especially knowing how it's like. Are we taking 
last year's line at this time in the playoffs because they did wear down. They weren't great all year, and they got worse. They, especially Quentin Quentin Spain, really kind of petered out uh, as the playoffs came along. Um, what I'm thinking, and I think this would have happened had he been active. I don't. It, it it's surprising that Isaiah Prince has wasn't activated. They they elevated two linebackers, uh, presumably just to get them a game check because they 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 made him inactive. Um, mm. But I, I think you see Isaiah Prince at right tackle, and then you flip Hakeem Adeniji over to left tackle. I, I, I don't know. I, they Zach was supportive of of Jackson Carmen and the way he played, but th- there's still a trust level uh, there. And going into this big of a game against the Bills, do you want to ride with Jackson Carmen as your starting left tackle? And I'm I'm not sure they do. I, I I would not at all be surprised to see Isaiah Prince elevated or activated to the 53 permanently, depending on, on what they have to do with Jonah Williams. Um, and, and do that, that flip that I mentioned, I think Hakeem is more comfortable on the left side. That's where he played more often at Kansas. And Isaiah Prince was the starting right tackle last year, good or bad for that entire playoff run. Yeah. So the, the Isaiah Prince element, I, I think it will be worth paying attention to over the course of the week, what they plan on doing, you know, mm-hmm. a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, when there was a thought that Isaiah was going to be the guy to take over at right tackle. And, you know, there, it didn't it didn't work out. At, you know, he was under the weather that week, and I think that played a significant role. In, mm. in and then they sort of had to move forward, and they felt okay with the way Adenogy was playing and what he was giving them. It sort of a built up a little bit of trust, and and they kind of went forward that way. The fact that they went to Jackson Carmen, the guy who hadn't played a left tackle snap in the NFL, over Deontay Smith, tells me there is zero trust in what Deontay Smith could come out and mm. do. O dot O. And so I think Prince, certainly I would expect to be up at the very mm-hmm. least. Um, you have to. And if not, potentially doing something like you said, Jay, the idea of mixing around, but you know, how much do you change things now from what you just did? I mean, there is a lot of, um, I wouldn't say like optimism or, or raving, but that Jackson Carmel was okay. Like he did okay out there for a guy who was who hadn't played in that spot, um, and you know he had sixteen pass block reps, five true pass sets, one sack. Now the one sack and five true pass sets, it sounds like oh you know what do you would get yourself into, and it wasn't a great one, but you know look they were able to survive. Uh, their best drive of the game, probably arguably, came with him in there, the first drive mm-hmm. of the second half. And, the, you know, he sh- showed some aggressiveness in the, in the run game. It's, I, I, I think there's a thought that they can certainly get by with it. And he's going to be potentially the guy to, to hold this spot down. Um, but you would assume with a short leash, uh, if yeah. you have it, like you said, moves that could be made, be curious to see how that plays out. I don't think they have it completely settled in their head yet. Um, I think they're still kind of working through exactly how they want to approach it now that they know this is the setup. Um, um, I'm not going to go deck chairs on the Titanic uh, all the way, but like two levels above that, right? Like it's just <laughs> you're. There's really, I think all the plans kind of are similar in nature. Benches on the Hindenburg. 
Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So maybe not like where, you know, a lot of people are going to die in this accident, yes. right? Like it's like we're not there. Like people are living. Uh, however, like there is a rearranging of the seating in a precarious situation. How's that? Yes, yes. Pick it, a historical I mean, moment of choice. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm trying to rack my brain of a bad moment where people didn't die and it, it's hard to find. You remember, <laughs> you remember the worst case scenarios. But yeah, I mean – it's a good and, and we're going to hear from Zach on this, but it's it's a good point that that Joe Burrow is so good. I mean, he took him to the Super Bowl last year with that line. He he is able to work around deficiencies in front of him. Now, yes, ideally, you would like to have great, great pockets and uh, all the time in the world to throw. But if it's not there, I there may not be a guy you'd rather have than Joe Burrow back there dealing with that. I mean, greatest quarterback of all time. Look what he did last night with no time to throw. That was that was painful to watch. What what was going on with Tom Brady and and it seems like if the first read wasn't there, everything just broke down. And uh, Joe Burrow is is really really good at, at one getting the throw out quickly to the right spot, and two if that doesn't happen, escaping pressure and making things happen with his feet. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Was Joe Burrow's line good in the playoffs last year, Jay? I mean, we just no. ran down those five guys. No, it wasn't. Was it good for, you know, did it have three backups in the majority of the first playoff game on Sunday and two backups on the right side for the beginning part before Jonah Williams goes down? Yeah. They're four and one. Okay. Like, so for those that say the Bengals are doomed, right? The offensive line is going to doom the Bengals. The injuries are going to doom the Bengals. They're 4-1 with bad lines in the playoffs. They made it to the Super Bowl. They were a play or a call or whatever you want to think of away from winning a championship despite it. And I would contend the group of five that they're putting out there this year is better than the group they put out during that entire run last year, even if it is by a little, even if we're talking about rearranging seating spots in precarious historical situations. Okay? We're, you're still talking about a group that's better. Most importantly. You're talking about a quarterback that is far better at dealing with this type of stuff. We have talked often and mm -hmm. on repeat this year about the Burrow evolution being his understanding situationally, understanding the importance of getting the ball out quickly, the importance of checkdowns, not finding a higher percentage of plays where he is understanding when to take chances and when not to, and that 
taking so much of the negative out of it. Jay, you had the stat of how many games in a row they had gone with not giving up more than two sacks. Sure, they, they have mm-hmm. this sacks rate of giving up a sack, but it's not – Burrow is mitigating it and has been mitigating it to not turn into a total disaster. Now, that was broken. He gave up four yeah. uh, against the Ravens. So perhaps you're seeing a bit of a backslide on that. But the, I think there's a point in that is that he still is so much better at mitigating than he even was last year, and they went to the Super Bowl. On that note, here's Zach Taylor – addressing some of these concepts that we're talking about. So many new pieces up front. I mean, at this point in the year, what are the biggest challenges that during the week that you will work with? Is it strictly a communication thing? Or what are the biggest things you hurdles that you face? You know, again, I, I really think Frank and Derek have done a great job of, of getting us ready for these situations where he's stressed that the reps aren't going to be plentiful for anybody. You know, you're going to get in that moment and you're going to have to, to have to know what to do and how to communicate. And so you got to put yourself in those situations mentally. And our guys have really done that. that that's why Max Sharping is here. He's a veteran that uh, understands these situations and that, that when his number's called, he probably won't have accumulated a ton of reps with the guy next to him on either side. And so he's got to be ready for that. He's done a good job. Um, same with Jackson and, and Deontay and Isaiah Prince and all these other guys, that Akeem, all these other guys that have had to step up. He's He's got them mentally ready for those moments. There's challenges. There's plenty. I won't list them all, but, um, you know, there's plenty of teams that go through this, and we're just having to be one of them right now. I know the whole mantra about next man up, but is it truly plug and play, or do you have to adjust the way you play call depending on guys that are in there and back up? Well, that, that's that's really no different than game to game for us, you know, in terms of matchups from who's across from us. So um, you don't feel any different about it because that's something you're always always taking into account. Anytime we're calling a play on a hash or, or preparing for a guy that's an interior guy or an exterior guy, um, we always try to factor that in to give our guys the best opportunity. And providing help where we can, where it makes sense. Sometimes it's it's more beneficial to get four or five guys out on the route instead of helping. Um, so there, there's just, uh, that's part of game, you know, that's part of what we got to deal with starting today and, and formulating those plans. How, how important is Joe's ability to recognize things and, yeah. and help account for uh, maybe having to get rid of the ball quicker? That's critical. Yeah, that's a big part of it. You know, is we have trust there that um, he can diagnose the looks quickly and, and get the ball out. There's sometimes we've got shot plays with quick answers. There's sometimes it's just quick answers across the board. But usually he's um, again does a great job of, of understanding the coverages and where the ball needs to go very quickly. And um, you know, you can see everybody else understand that now too. There was a great first play of a drive they played Tampa two. And we had four verticals called, and he got the ball to Mixon as quick as he's ever done. You know, and, and you can see how quick Mixon was ready for it now because they understand those looks too of when they're going to get those balls. And so something as simple as that, the ball came out of his hands quick on a play that was probably designed to go maybe even further down the field. Um, but that's just part of Joe understanding and, and playing playing quick. All right, so that's Zach Taylor kind of on that topic jay i mean we said i think when you go back to the ravens game here i thought there were a few plays specific plays that were perfect examples of the type of traits that is going to help joe burrow avoid you know the same kind of issues that have caused problems in the past a few of those plays you know you talk about joe mixon uh the check down zach taylor mentioned this yesterday the check down um in the third quarter first and ten 
uh, first drive. It's just a quick check down for eight yards, but it's one of those where four verts is called. Everybody runs deep, and he's you know he had it out as quick as you've ever seen him get it out. Mm-hmm. The understanding of those situations, the Hurst play, you know, the anticipation of creating a window out of midair uh, for the check down. Um, or for, excuse me, where he, he almost gets the touchdown right through Patrick Queen's ear hole. I mean, that, the anticipation to throw that early with Calais Campbell coming right up, you're, if you're holding it, if you're waiting for it to come open, you can't get it there. Burrow sees it. The third and inches play where he shakes Roquan. You get the spontaneous backyard Burrow <laughs> stuff that you can have as well. You know, The chase touchdown, he stands in there. He takes the hit and gets to the third progression before the free runner basically gets to him, which is chase, and he gets the score. That's what you're banking on. You're banking on Burrow being better at dealing with this on top of the fact that the the line is going to have to hold up a little bit. Yeah. And it's not coach speak either where, you know, Zach was quick to point out that, and and they say it all the time that not every sack is on the offensive line. And so P Ryan and Mixon need to be better and Burrow needs to be better. There's other things that lead to those sacks. And um, yes, you, you, there's the concerns a little greater with, with the injuries and what this line is now compared to was a month ago. But um, there, there is enough to go on to think that it's, it's not going to revert to what week one and week two was where there was 13 sacks in two games or what last year's divisional game was against Tennessee, where there was nine sacks. Yeah, you don't want nine, a big number, tough no. one. Uh, but you know they, you 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 still see that when this, we know the recipe: turnovers, sacks, usually sacks, creating pressure, creating turnovers. Mm-hmm. We saw that earlier in the year as being a part of it. You know when they've had they've had more than three sacks in four games this year, and they're one and three, and the one they needed the Hubbard play. Uh, mm-hmm. to to pull off the win. So again, we know a bit of the recipe that's going to be a big part of this. It's the combination of you hope Burrow being better and you hope getting a decent level of play out of the backups and those that are remaining compared to what you saw last year. Let's do this. Let's do what we love to do here. And that is bringing our good friend and yours, uh, Mo Egger, to join us. What's up? How are we doing, guys? What's going on? Great. How is how is life in the ESPN? 1530 studios. Uh, I just got here. So, uh, but there's a, there's a buzz, you know, it's a playoff yeah. week. Sure. So, which means there's um, lots of revenue opportunities <laughs> that yeah. folks here at the radio station are pursuing. <laughs> do, do they need meeting, meetings for those Mo? I assume they need meetings for those. Uh, there are meetings. There were meetings. There were meetings last week. Um, th- there'll probably be more meetings. I'm, I'm hoping I'm, 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 I'm hoping for a meeting regarding what our plans might be in a couple of weeks. Ah, have they, have you guys done any research on uh, ice chests in the greater Glendale area? Well, you know, I am a veteran of the Glendale area because when my buddies and I go to spring training, that's usually where we stay. And so I've, I have scouted out the, uh, the various ice chests in the greater Glendale area. Set up next to, yeah, that'd be great. Probably shouldn't be talking about this. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We'll move on. I, there's other things to get to with you. I want to yes. start. I want to start with this. Uh, I want to start with a tweet and something that you that I think is we kind of talked about this on the walkout, but I was curious. I wanted to hear your opinion on it. You tweeted basically the one tweet after getting to. By the way, congratulations. Got to see your first Bengals playoff. Yes, <laughs> finally oh, in man. person after many when, games being away. There were multiple times 
where I thought, you know what? Someone's going to blame this on me. Yeah. Uh, someone's <laughs> going to blame this on me. Uh, you, but when, when, when they didn't get any chance to blame it on you after the win, you tweeted five straight playoff games that came down to the last play. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Winning close playoff games. I mean, every, this whole weekend, well, I guess two of the games ended up not being, but for the most part, um, you end up, this is what they are. This is what they look like. This is what the playoffs are. This is what the NFL has set them up to be. Um, winning close playoff games. Do you view it in the Bengals lens of luck, created luck, or I don't care what it is, right? <laughs> Some teams just have a knack, right? Like, I'm curious, how do you how do you view the fact that they... This is who they are. This is who they have been, and they continue to be that. And that's not, and that doesn't even just necessarily connect the playoff games, but big games. Like it just seems all these big games, they've seemed to continually make the play that some people will repeatedly say luck. And it's like, well, at a certain point, if it's luck eight times in a row, is it luck? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I say all the time that I, I don't think we, I don't think we acknowledge the luck factor enough in sports or in life. Um, Things do have to go your way in order to be successful. Um, but I also think working when, within the parameters of what the NFL playoffs are, which are a series of close games involving oftentimes very evenly matched teams where one or two things is going to often determine the outcome of the game, you have to best position yourself as you possibly can um, to, to to be able to, I don't know, seize the moment. And, you know, Jay, you you wrote the the, the oral history of the play. Have we come up with the official name? We're getting that. We're going to get our next segment. We have a okay. bunch of names to get through. We haven't, we haven't dubbed one yet, but we're going to, we're going to give one that our official name. Okay. So Von, um, Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, and Sam Hubbard combined for this iconic play, right? Was luck involved? Sure. Uh, if Tyler Huntley goes low, maybe he scores a touchdown, but the three plays preceding it, Bengals players made plays to keep the Baltimore Ravens from putting it in the end zone mm-hmm. and putting the Ravens in a position where, all right, it's it's third and goal from the two. And now Tyler Huntley, an inexperienced professional quarterback, is in a position to maybe do something stupid. And the Bengals are in a position to make a play and capitalize on him doing something stupid. That's not luck. That's Jesse Bates saving a touchdown. It's Von Bell saving a touchdown. It's the Bengals defense continually. I mean, the game the other night just felt like the continuation of last year's postseason run, right? Uh, these these plays that the defense turns in at the precise right moment, is there luck involved? Sure. But your defense has to make those plays. The Von Bell-Jesse Bates combined interception against Patrick Mahomes. Um, the B.J. Hill pick, which felt like it, it almost completely turned that game around. Jermaine Pratt. Um, with one of the biggest interceptions in the history of the franchise, th- those things in in a in a vacuum don't happen because of luck. They they happen because guys make great plays. Now, I don't know if I'm being as articulate as I need to be about this, but I, I working within the, the the parameters of what NFL playoff games are going to be, there are moments where you're either going to make a play or you're not, and whether you do or don't is going to determine the outcome. And the Bengals have made them. Um, at least in the AFC playoffs, they've made them. How much of that is luck? Some of it, sure. A lot of it, though, is preparation and and just guys doing what they were brought here to do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because that's what, when we do get to our debates over this name, there's one that I'm ruling out because I think it does take in to the 
account a luck element. There was nothing lucky about that play. You could say the lucky part in that game was the ball going off of James Prochet's hands on the mm-hmm. Hail Mary on the final play. That was a little bit lucky. But and anybody that's ever gambled knows luck is not absolute. <laughs> Nobody is either lucky or unlucky. Sometimes you're one, sometimes you're the other. You're you're both at it's just at what point in time does it happen? And you, I mean think about it. The the Bengals, their first three losses this year all came on the final play of the game. And not to say those were lucks, but luck, but that it, it comes back around. Look at the the Vikings were 11 and 0 in one score games. And then they, it's like, well, that cannot continue. It has to regress at some point. And it did. They lost that playoff game, a one score game. So I don't, I don't think there's anything to saying that the, this team is lucky. It's yes, there were, there were some plays that went their way, but they made those breaks Sunday night against Baltimore. And they've made so many of the the breaks that they've had throughout this season. Yeah. I mean, bad teams don't put themselves on the verge of a championship because they got lucky right in sports as in life. Do you need some things beyond your control to go your way at times? Sure. That happens. Um, it's, it's, it's happened to every team who's ever won a title, but, uh, I didn't view the other night as a byproduct of luck. I, I viewed it as emblematic of the Bengals having a really good team that seized opportunity at precisely the right time, mm-hmm. but also did some things up to that moment that enabled them to make a defensive stop. Um, because I thought Tyler Huntley was going to run for a touchdown, a 37 yard touchdown. And Jesse Bates runs him down hustle play. If he doesn't do that, I don't know that they win the game. I mean, that's that's the part of the other night. You know, we we talk about most iconic play in Bengals history. It's a 14-point play. I was as optimistic as anybody going into that game. The way the second half was playing out with the way Baltimore was running the football with what was happening with the Bengals offensive line, 24-17, as much as I believe in the Joe Burrow magic, I don't know, man. So, but... Again, they're in that position because guys did things to keep the Ravens from scoring because first and goal from the two, it felt like an inevitability. At the very least, Baltimore is going to take the lead. They're going to get at least three cracks at it. We'll see if they go for it on fourth down. Repeatedly, guys had to prevent them from scoring. And the plays subsequent to whatever we're calling Hubbard's (laughs) 98-yard fumble return for a touchdown, the plays leading up to that put the Ravens in a position where they ended up being complicit in their own demise because you shouldn't reach the ball over the goal line when you're as far out as Tyler was, but guys made plays and this team continues to put itself in a position to make plays that, um, affect outcomes of playoff games. All right, let's just take a quick break. We love to quantify things to the point of predictability, right? In sports now, mm-hmm. that's the, the key to everything we're doing. All of our, everything in analytics, what's, what, what was, what was the win? I, the first thing I went to, what's the win probability changing that? That has to be one of the biggest yeah. we've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we all do this in, in baseball, right? Everything has to be predictive and we have to know, and it has to be exact. We can't quantify certain sports at its core amongst some great teams do have an un 
predictive, intangible nature that is a such a part of the great teams. When we talk about chemistry or whatever, mm-hmm. coaches live in that world. Coaches live in that culture world. Coaches understand getting more because they're you're in the room. You live the dynamics. Just like people don't understand the dynamics of why in anybody's office you don't like Jan and accounting and why that's making you not like your job. But like the people in there know that like, that's bringing everybody down and, and getting the most out of everybody is a part of all that. There's three things, resiliency, belief, and effort that can't really be quantified. They can't, they can't really be put into a PFF score of what that <laughs> means. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you it matters. And there's, there's a way that teams play. I think when you get to bait, when you play these baseball games and you get the, the late in the playoffs and the world, there are these teams that have it right. And it's four Mm -hmm. to one, you know, in the bottom of the eighth. And you know, the team down is make is going to get hits is going to start to come back because they do it all year because they have it. They have a belief. There's something about that. The Bengals have that. They were they were built on resiliency last year, especially in big moments. And I think it's just showing itself again in in this type of stuff. And I just think the fact that it's so hard to quantify in this world of sports that we've created that is so dedicated to quantifying things makes it hard for people to even understand. And it's hard for me to understand what the hell we just saw on Sunday night, but I do think there's something to that. Yeah. And I I think at times it it limits people's ability to enjoy the moment, right. Or enjoy the the games themselves. I mean, I've, I'm as pro analytics and pro football focus and, Mm -hmm. and, and uh, advanced metrics as anybody. I think that stuff is, is really insightful. I think if you, follow this sport. A lot of that stuff can be really helpful guides as to understanding uh, what's happening, but, but you're right. I mean, there are certain things that you just <laughs> baseball, you brought up baseball hall of fame voters are, are I guess the, the hall of fame announcements coming out next week, right? I'm a big pro Scott Rowland should get in guy. Now I could cite some numbers that would tell you why he should get in. I could talk about why third basemen are underrepresented in the uh, in the uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame. I could talk about how, from an eight-year stretch, only A. Rod and Barry Bonds uh, had a higher WAR than Scott Rowland. I could cite Gold Gloves. More than anything, I watched him play, and I saw the impact he had here uh, when he was past his prime. And so I've I've said this to people before when we talk about. Uh, you know, Hall of Fame voting, um, and we we do it with 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 football as well. I watched the guy play. I saw what he brought to the table. I know that there's more than just the metrics. And with this team, yeah, I, I don't. I, I, you're right. I mean, I watched this team play all season. I watched it play last year. They have, they have earned, I guess, the benefit of the doubt when it comes to why things have happened and what's going to happen within a game. And by the way, I'm the guy that just said, I don't think they win if they uh, don't make that play. And, and if Baltimore scores to go up 24, 17, but there is something about that. And I think for a lot of folks who aren't as into the weeds, when it comes to advanced metrics, it's what's made this run so much fun because for folks who don't dive into numbers and win probability and stuff like that, and just watch the games and have kind of enjoyed the personality of this team. I think that's what what's made this little two year run here. So much fun is, is you could wrap your brains around resiliency and effort and togetherness and, and being opportunistic. And this team has been all of those things, and sometimes those things can't be explained by a pro football focus grade 
or or an analytical um, you know number anything like that. I, I know we need to get to our bets here, but there, there's one thing I did want to ask you about because I was curious about. I this hit my mind as Hubbard was running down the <laughs> field, and we're talking about probabilities. What I thought this is all they're just letting it go because if it they let it go, it's a touchdown, then they can review it automatically. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when they started playing the replays in the stadium because that's the last thing I was looking at was a jumbotron. How much amid all the delirium of Hubbard scoring, how much angst was there that, oh man, he he probably did. Because you see that all the time where they think it's a fumble, right. they show the review, the little tip of the ball breaks the plane, they call it a touchdown. Was it just pandemonium in the stands or was there a little bit of angst that, ooh, uh, this, this replay is going to be dicey? It was pandemonium. And first of all, the play felt like it took about 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> As fast as Sam was, I mean, the whole thing, you realize how long it takes for a highly trained professional athlete to run from one end of a football field <laughs> to the other. And so for me, the, the picture that stands out in my mind, uh, being in the stands, Hubbard's got the ball. He's charging towards us. So I, we're, we're kind of right at midfield. He's, he's charging towards us, and I'm watching him. But I kept looking back at, at the end zone. What were the officials doing? Did anybody signal touchdown? You, you couldn't tell from where he said, did he reach it over and score before the ball was knocked loose? Nobody's doing touchdown. And the players who weren't following the play, who were mostly Bengals, are, are all kind of like confusingly just there at the goal line, like they're watching a train wreck unfold. <laughs> and you could just tell they all had these looks on their faces or body language that suggested they weren't sure what the outcome of what was happening was going to be. Um, I don't know when the replay hit. I just, I know when I, I watched the official at the other end, signal touchdown. Okay. They didn't blow the whistle. This is obviously it's going to be reviewed. We'll see what happens. But what I'll remember more than anything is just as Sam is rumbling down the field, I'm watching him and I'm looking back and I'm watching him and I'm looking back and I'm trying to see if anybody can catch him. And all right, is he going to get a block thrown? But more than anything, I'm just like looking back to see is, is there an official singling touchdown? Is there official pointing to the ground? Has anybody blown their whistle? What are the players back on the other end doing? And, um, but yeah, there was, there was pandemonium and, and, and look, the, the unease and angst uh, in that moment when, you know, first of all, uh, 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 Hunley, there's a snap that like goes over his head and he still completes a pass. And we all kind of looked at each other and like, well, that's the sort of stuff that just happens to this team. Doesn't it? And then he runs to the two yard line and and there was a real I mean, it's early in the fourth quarter. They had blown a nine, nothing lead. There's this, you know, building unease. And then this just burst of elation that is unlike anything I've experienced as a fan uh, in that stadium, but, but yeah, again, just the, the, the slow nature of the entire play and how you're watching all these different things, but more than anything, just, I remember watching the guys who were kind of remaining at the goal line and what they were doing, watching Sam run the other way. I'll never forget that. You're just so rarely truly stunned by what you witness in tense moments of big games like any even even in moments of happiness or a team finding a way to win it's it's something you 
you expect, oh, a Burrow touchdown pass to Chase, right? Like, mm-hmm. or or a home run by a player. You're so rarely truly stunned with something you've never seen before in a massive moment uh, in fandom that it just makes it something that's what will make it one that will be played uh, forever and will go down for whatever name that we end up giving it. Let's get to bets. Uh, let, yeah. let's, let's get the bets here. Uh, Jay, how'd we, uh, how'd last weekend turn out? Uh, we went one and four as a group. <laughs> I was the one I had wow. uh, Bengals Ravens under 43.5. It was that line came down when it was announced that Lamar was out, but on Tuesday it was 43.5. I went 15 on that. Uh, we all got chargered. Um, oh. it was, <laughs> well, actually Paul did not. I didn't hide the Jags. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yes. Good well, you had you. plus 5,000. I got plus uh, 5,000 to win the Super Bowl on those Jags. Yes. <laughs> well, for $1. For $1. Um, yeah. So my I had the Chargers in a parlay. That didn't hit. Mo had Bengals Chargers in the AFC Championship game. Obviously, that's not happening. He also had a, a Bengals Chargers money line parlay. That did what, not what happen. What are we doing? Um, Paul went Buccaneers <laughs> money line. San Fran minus 10. He hit the San Fran, but Tampa Bay came nowhere close last Ugh. night. Um, and then Paul still has the Bengals to win the Super Bowl at plus 750 as a future. So um, our updated tallies here, let me get my Zoom window out of the way. Uh, Mo still in the lead, uh, which he recently took at 225.4, Paul at 203, and I'm up to 162.6. Jags Super Bowl is going to carry me through. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Mo? All right, so um, at this point, if you're going to make a wager like the one that I lost, Bengals Chargers in the AFC Championship game, if you're going to do something similar, you're basically doing a a, a two team money line parlay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money right back where I put it last week. I'm gonna go Bengals Jags AFC Championship game. You're basically doing a uh, money line parlay with Cincinnati and Jacksonville. You can get plus twelve hundred odds on this, and so we're gonna do that. Cincinnati to host. Somebody has to be the guy that it's at the front of the line to say that Jacksonville is going to beat Kansas city. They play in a world of close games. This is the ultimate house money team, right? We weren't supposed to win the AFC South. We did. We weren't supposed to uh, uh, beat the, the chargers after turning the football over five times in the first half. We did. We've got an ascending quarterback B to B plus level receivers. Uh, Travis Eddie is faster than people realize. A zero F's given head coach, athletic defense, and a Kansas City team, they're eight and a half point favorites. They never cover against anybody when it's a big number. And they've played in a lot of playoff games that they should have lost to inferior opponents. And they've given away playoff games that they should have won. I'm going Jaggy here. I'm taking Jackson, I'm taking Jacksonville, Cincinnati, um, two-way money line parlay. You could also get the Cincinnati Bengals to record seven or more sacks in the game against <laughs> Buffalo. Conversely, you can get the Buffalo Bills to record seven or more sacks mm. against Cincinnati. That's at plus 3,300. I think the value is too good to pass up, my friends. So I got the <laughs> Bengals winning the game, but uh, you're the, going the repeat, repeat of the divisional round, winning a game yeah. despite giving up a ton of sacks. Seven plus sacks. Look, they can't run it, so they're going to have to throw it like all the time. They're they're playing with three backup offensive linemen in all likelihood. I know Buffalo's pass rush has suffered without Von Miller. Plus thirty three hundred. I'm gonna uh, 
I'm going to take a nibble here. So we're going, we're going high value Cincinnati, Jacksonville, money line parlay, uh, burrow to get sacked seven or more times plus 3,300. I appreciate you, by the way, uh, finally coming over to my Jag side. It took you a while. You're a slow, <laughs> a slow adopter. I mean, but you this come. is the ultimate house money. It is. We shouldn't be in this game. We shouldn't be in this position. Doug Peterson, it's Doug Peterson with Nick Foles all over again. No yeah. one's given us yes. a chance. We got a good team. Right. A great coach for this situation. Trevor Lawrence is playing as good as anybody once he got the, the yakking of those uh, turnovers out of the way. Uh, I, right. I, I'm with you. I, I think... I, who Jay, our guy from Kings Island, Don Helbig, who works over at the Bengals, came up mm-hmm. to us before the Bengals game started. He said, I am I wrong to think that the Jags have a chance? And we both no, the Jags absolutely KC is a vul- more vulnerable team than anybody recognizes. The fact that the Jags are hot and have nothing to lose and have a quarterback who can do it. I think Trevor Lawrence can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes enough uh that they can absolutely do it. I, I that is absolutely a game the Jags can win. I'm with you on that, Mo. Sorry, Jay. I had to jump in when some people start talking about the Jags. I get all excited. You, you just reminded me because uh, Alex Kappa pulled me aside uh, last week and he he said, you're the stat guy, right? What what are the team's records after a bye in the playoffs? And I said, I don't have that offhand, but I'll look it up for you. So I will look it up. But you're right. So many times you see these sometimes the two seeds back in the day when there was two buys, but these teams sometimes, sometimes that bye doesn't come at the best time and that week off they're a little sluggish coming out uh, i'm not coming all the way to your side but i'm going to put one foot on your side because i think the jags cover i'm not i'm not going to go money line i'm not going to say they win um, but i looked this up and and dogs of five points or more which all five all four games this weekend have lines of five or more um, dogs that are five point underdogs or more in the divisional round since 2015 12 and eight against the spread Overall, straight up, they're five and fifteen, so that's not great. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Bengals plus five for uh, fifteen units, and then I'm going to take the other three dogs, throw them together in a parlay. Uh, actually, Cowboy, I'm sorry, the Cowboys are plus four; they're not plus five. Cowboys plus four, Jags plus eight and a half, Giants plus seven and a half for a five-unit parlay. That eight and a half number is way too, way big. too big, way yes. too big. Um, Kansas City in the postseason, Kansas City in the postseason in recent years, Houston had him beat 24 nothing. Then Bill O'Brien gets in the way. Tennessee's up 10 nothing on him early at Arrowhead Stadium. Cincinnati's down 21 three and they come back. We, we've we've chosen to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. And look, they, they may win the Super Bowl. Nobody would be surprised sure. if they did. But we, we talk about them like they're the Golden State Warriors. They they've they've had so many damn close calls or performances in the playoffs where they simply did not show up. They were outplayed in the Super Bowl. They won against San Francisco. They were smoked by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers a couple of years ago, and they gave up a huge lead at home to Cincinnati. Cleveland I, had them on the ropes. Cleveland had them on the ropes. You're giving me eight and a half points with these zero F's given Jags, dude. No yeah. brainer. Absolutely. No brainer. I'm, I I totally agree with you. I've got an I've got enough uh, capital in the Jags. I'm going to stay away from it. You guys have said the piece on that. I am going to uh, go Eagles and San Francisco uh, money line parlay just to take that for uh, 15. Uh, I, they're the two best teams. They deserve to face off in the NFC Championship game. They will. Uh, I'll 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 put down on that. And then uh, Bengals Bills over. 
I don't care what the weather is. I don't care what's going to, these teams are going to cook against each other. Uh, I don't even know what the number is. I don't care. Taking the over. I think we're going to see points this weekend <laughs> for five. So that's, uh, that's, that's my round. All right, Mo, I have a question for you. you, you we, do you have any interest in partaking in the Hubbard play should be called what conversation? Or are you, are you cooked on it? No, well, quickly here, the number's 48 and a half because you oh. piqued my interest. Um, Over. The only thing that I ask is, can we not do immaculate whatever? Yeah, That's Pittsburgh's thing. Right. That's Pittsburgh's thing. Okay. They get it. They have it. It's an iconic play. So uh, when, when, when the Steelers commemorated the 50th anniversary of the immaculate reception and then Franco Harris uh, passed away in the middle of all that, which was awful. I, I brought up, I don't know if I brought it up here. I, I brought it up kind of in passing on my radio show. That play is immortalized in the Pittsburgh airport. There's a statue of Franco Harris making the immaculate reception. And my question was, what is the play in Cincinnati sports? Not figure, but the play that it, if you walk past it, you go, oh yeah, that play. What is the play that we could immortalize in, at CVG? Uh, my colleague, Tony Pike instantly said, well, what about me throwing the ball to Armand Bins? And that's a good mm-hmm. one because if you walk past that, if you know, Bins on the ground sports, with the arm up, I don't Bins want, Tony. I don't want a Tony up. statue. It would have to be Bins. Yeah, it would have to be Bins. Right. <laughs> and Tony could walk past it and stand there and do personal appearances and charge for pictures and stuff, <laughs> which he would do. Aside from that, there's really not for me a play. Like if, if it's Pete Rose getting 4192, that could be Pete getting any one of his hits. Unless it's him at standing at first base with Steve Garvey and maybe they're comparing how many kids they, I don't know, but it's not going to be that. So what, what would be the play? Now we have the answer. So the question would be, is it just Sam running? Do they have statues of all these Baltimore Ravens players chasing them? Do you have the guys back at the goal line looking like they just saw a train wreck? What are we doing here? That's the play. In terms of what we call it, I don't, I don't really have a hard take. There's nothing that I've been like, yes, but I will say no to anything using the word immaculate because that's a Pittsburgh thing. And we don't want to be like Pittsburgh. Solid ground rules on that. Very low key one that people wouldn't probably think about. Give me Eric Davis dropping the bat after the game one home yep. run in 1990 mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. potentially would be what uh, what you would maybe. But but that, again, that could be any one of Eric Davis's home runs. I think the the nature of what makes it unique. I think you have some sort of version of of the ball falling into uh, Hubbard's hands with a Logan Wilson jumping up and knocking it down, uh, maybe statue, right. but I don't know, but I good, good ground rules to set as we dive into this conversation. I mean, you want it to be molar roller, don't you? I mean, just be honest. That's, that's what you're, that's what you want it to be. Look, I mean, I, I think that would, that'd be significant. Uh, I think it would make sense. I mean, he is from here. He did go to one of the great, uh, high school institutions in our did, country. Did, but- did Logan, did Logan Wilson go to molar? Uh, he he didn't. Wyoming is fi- has a number of fine schools as well, and I, we appreciate. So, but I mean, Molar Roller makes it only about Sam. Correct. Sam was obviously the the biggest part of the play. I am not but, but, putting my vote for Molar Roller. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Uh, however, okay. I do. I do have an appreciation for you know how important sure. that has been in informing many men, including this this man who scored a big touchdown. Yeah, real, um, real quick, because uh, I know we got to get Mo out of here. But you, you mentioned Eric Davis. That was one of the first ones that came to my mind. What about Billy Bates rounding third with his arms up on a roll ooh, of toilet paper, almost hitting yes, him yes. in game two? Can you bronze toilet paper falling <laughs> I from think the you sky? Can. Yeah, you could probably do that. 
Uh, I think the other one that we could have is the one that went viral this weekend of Phil Castellini with that chart behind him. <laughs> we could could do that. That'd be fun for, uh, for everybody. If you're if you want if you like were a lover of the '90s Bengals and just love to live in misery and you're kind of tired of all this success and happiness happening around the franchise right now, go listen to our baseball podcast with Ken Rosenthal right now. It's a beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beaut. He goes in on uh, the Reds and their entire situation. Um, I, I'm not even going to. I'm just just go there. Just go there. Mo, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I will Thanks, see, guys. Right. We'll I will see, see you. you this yep. afternoon. Uh, yes, all right. Sir. We'll see you guys. Thanks. Okay, Jay. Well, on that note, um, I think we need to hop in. Let's hop into the Hubbard conversation. Yeah, uh, you know we we set we set the parameters here. Let's run down. Thank you to everyone, by the way, that sent in submissions, uh, whether to us on Twitter or email. Uh, here's I'm going to just run down a bunch of the names that have been kind of given to us or that we've seen, um, and we're going to kind of rank our rank our top four, and then we can go from there. All right, the Hubbard heist, fumble in the jungle. Sam I Scram, the Hubbard Hall, the Hubbard Yard Dash, uh, Tarico Voice, the Cincinnati Kid, the Holy Hubbard, the Hubbard, just straight up, <laughs> the Immaculate Rejection, mentioned a second ago, the Poke Six, the Uproar at Paycor, Steel Team Six, Cincy Scoop, sponsored by Graders. The Molar Man Miracle. The Molar Man March. The Molar Roller. All of these thrown into the mix. Jay, count me down uh, from your, from four. We'll start at four and we'll make the way to our number one. Okay, so... Before I give you my top four, I'm I'm with Mo. I do not like immaculate rejection, and it has nothing to do with the Steelers' connotation. It goes back to what we talked about earlier in the conversation with Mo: luck and immaculate. You think about the immaculate reception; it was a crazy, fluky play. There was nothing fluky or immaculate about that play. It was Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson doing what they do, and and Sam Hubbard. The ball comes to him. Maybe that's the lucky part of it where it just bounces right to him. But that was a great defensive play. There was nothing fluky about that. So that's the reason I don't like immaculate rejection. So my number four. Maybe, maybe that. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe that's the lucky part. Yes. The ball getting ripped out and it going directly into Sam Hubbard's hands as he is already in motion. It led him perfectly. <laughs> yes, that is the immaculate part. What was, I mean, Franco Harris, you know, what are you going to say? It wasn't the ball getting banged out. Like, yeah, that, that was part of people playing the game. The immaculate part is it went right to the other person who happens to catch it in stride going towards the end zone. I'm going to say, I think there was some immaculate nature to it. Now, I agree with what Mo's saying about if that's a Steelers thing and you, you know, you're stealing directly, but I do think that there, I think that is a pretty significant immaculative aspect. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's my only point. So, go ahead. Number so four. My, my number four is what 
what I had in, in the story, the wham scram. Thank you, Sam. I know that's too long. That's not anything. I just, I, I want to make a slight admission here that I, I plagiarized myself a little bit there because when I first started covering the Bengals, uh, for the Hamilton journal, there was a game against the Baltimore Ravens, um, in 96 or 97, right when the Ravens started, the Bengals won the game on a goal line stand where Sam shade had two huge plays in the lead of my story. My column that day was wham, bam. Thank you, Sam. And I sent it in wondering what, the people at the Hamilton Journal would—they were very sensitive about stuff like that. That you know, it's got a sexual connotation to it. I was kind of snickering, wondering if they would keep it. They kept it, so I—I I, I flipped it a little bit to go wham, scram. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, um, am I counting down all the way from four to one? Go, for, go, just go four. from four. Yeah, we'll we'll go. Uh, we'll do. We'll go. We'll go. You do four, and I'll do my four. I'll do my number four. Okay. Um, yeah. So that that was my four. Your, that was your number four was William yeah. Scram. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Okay, got you. Uh, my number four is going to be Steel Team Six. I actually I like that. That's I my thought two. that was yeah. I like I like that one. I think that's I think that's pretty solid. What's your three? Um. Well, the reason I like Steel Team is because it include its team. There was a lot of yeah. pe- parts. Pratt, Wilson, Bailey with the blocks. So I like that. Um, my three is fumble in the jungle uh, because, it, again, it, it doesn't single out Sam Hubbard. Um, but I didn't rank it higher because our friend of the program, Mike, Mark Caboli, pointed out on Twitter, fumble in the jungle is already taken. That was Jeremy Hill back in 2015. Mm. Um, so, yes, that's that, that uh, that's why that's three for me and not a little bit higher. But that, you know, that already has a name. That night has the meltdown of Paul Brown, which was where we had our emailer who brought up, this is a good way to put that in the past with the uproar at Paycor, um, which I also like, but it doesn't in any way reference the actual play. uh, And and I think think meltdown, uproar, it feels like more of a uh, multi-event. This is one single thing. Uh, So my number three uh, would be, I, I, I like... The Cincinnati kid, like I love the call <laughs> is so perfect. I think the call will live on, um, and I think people doing the Tarico voice every time they say it. Um, I know that that probably doesn't catch on and live on. I just feel like that needs recognition. What a freaking call by Mike Tarico! The dropping in of that line at the perfect moment, um, the perfect thing to say, realizing it, putting it together. I just felt like it was one of the best parts of the entire play if you were watching it. I wonder how many people have made that their ringtone, Tarico's call, or even just the Cincinnati kid, make that their text tone every time it goes off. It would not surprise me if there's some some hardcore Bengal fans out there that have done that. Um, Especially if they're old and don't have phones. They just put on vibrate like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I want to, I know we were making this about our favorite. I don't want to crap on suggestions. I, <clears throat> I don't like uproar at Paycor because uproar sounds like you're mad. You're arguing about something. It doesn't, it, it, it has a negative connotation more so than a positive one. Maybe the roar at Paycor would, would work. Um, but not, I don't like uproar at Paycor. Uh, my two, as I have mentioned already, Steel Team Six. I really like that a lot. Everybody knows what Steel Team Six is. Um, the the steal is what they did. Stole the ball, got six, and has team. It involves everybody. So I, I do like that one a lot. Um. So I, I like I like fumble in the jungle. That's my number two. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, I mean, it's, it's the play, you know. I, I think I, I, I know that there's a negative connotation. I, I do like that, so that's my number two. Uh, my number one is Hubbard Yard Dash. Yeah, I just like the play on words there. Uh, people, um, I, I like it because it incorporates the distance of the play. You, you, it. it I people argue that it wasn't a hundred yards. It actually was, it was 123 as you pointed out on the <laughs> GPS tracker that he, it was a secure, not a circuitous route, but he did kind of weave out and come back, ran up more than a hundred yards. Um, and that's what makes this play unique is the distance. It's the longest fumble return in NFL history. Um, there've been a lot of turnovers in NFL playoff history. There've been a lot of, um, crazy wild things, but 98 yards, almost a hundred Sam Hubbard being the guy, I know I said before, I like the everything about the rewarding the team more so than the player, but that's what made this unique one guy running that far. Um, so Hubbard Yard Dash is my pick. I agree with you. I also oh. think it's the Hubbard Yard Dash. I think you run the Hubbard. Like, you know, so this Molar Baseball was is going through their conditioning right now. They posted this on Twitter. Uh, and I don't mean to be a little homer here about this, but it was funny. They had them at the end of their practice. They ran a Hubbard's. They ran Hubbard's. They started at the <laughs> two yard line on the football field and they ran 98 as their, you know, their end of practice conditioning or whatever. Running Hubbard's. Like that becomes a thing, right? You run 98 yards. The Hubbard yard dash isn't 100. It's the amount of yards that Sam Hubbard ran. It's not, it is 98 and I'm okay with that. It's near 100. So that's that's close enough, just off from 100. Yeah, I think that plays. And I think you're right. The length of it, the dash, I'm I'm with you. And I maybe that takes a little bit away from Logan Wilson, but I think the Hubbard Yard dash is is the one that we should be going going with at this point. I think it's the one that we will go with here on Hear That Podcast Ground. It will be the Hubbard Yard mm. dash. Uh, and you guys had so many great submissions. I hope people have enjoyed this topic. You know, this is kind of the dumb things that sports is uh, known for and, and makes it fun. Uh, so that's, that's where we landed on it. Thanks everybody for sending in your submissions. Good stuff. Um, all right. On that note, Jay, are you ready? The biggest or, Arby's segment in oh, history. Are you, you know ready? my motto? What? More Arby's the better. More Arby's the better. This is like, I mean, this is like a buffet. This is going and you're catering at this point. <laughs> this is catering Arby's. There's just nothing. It's just roast beef and congealed cheese everywhere. <laughs> Jalapeno poppers. Ugh. Best around. <laughs> <laughs> so many curlies. So many curly yes. fries. Crinkles. Oh, Jamoka shakes. <laughs> All right. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, do you want to kick it off? I, I want to kick it off with, uh, I think, the yeah, perfect place for us to kick it off at. Um, you might not know this if you listen to the walkout uh, on Monday morning when you woke up or Sunday. We got a message from our good friend Paul Malloy pointing out 249 posting of the walkout. You guys got after it. Uh, and he, he's pointed out a line from my story. Uh, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Find a way. As like being the motto. <laughs> Guess what? You have no idea how hard finding a way was. We recorded what I believe to be a delightful version of the walkout, only to see it say file corrupted as we went to upload it to the system. That somehow, 
some way, in a way unbeknownst to us, the file got corrupted in the recording. We didn't have a backup, and we had what you know as the walkout from Sunday. We had to re-record in the middle of the night on Sunday, Monday morning, uh, which is part of the reason Jay was there so late, we were there so late, everything about it coming out so late. Tested us, Jay. That was a, that was a, that was a test of our of ourselves. Uh, we came through it okay, but I think I, I do want there to be transparency. People were hearing the second version of that. There was a lot. It was really hard to remember what I said in which version as we got to the end of that podcast. Guys, a little worried. I, I, I didn't know if things were going to be thrown. I, I we we, we had, we've had one <laughs> other issue with a podcast uh, recording, um, and, and you were not happy that night. And I was wondering how you were going to take this, uh, being how late. Or early in the morning it was and you you handled it well um we we now will have two recordings of every podcast and yes. and uh, have a backup in case that ever happens again and this is like my game story from the bengals winning the meltdown at paul brown that was going to be an award-winning story and it never saw the light of day just like yeah. podcast number one saturday sunday night uh, nobody will ever know what was actually said or written yeah yeah, <laughs> no one will ever know. All right, Jay, you're up. All right, so um, this this I want to circle back real quick. Uh, Kyle Williams is going to be thrilled. He, he's one of the media relations uh, employees for the Bengals, and he asked me yesterday what what my uh, what my pick for the play would be. And when I told him Hubbard Yard Dash, he he said his as well. So he's going to be really happy um, with this. He was working with me on this Arby's here. Um, the I, this has to be a new tradition. I don't know if they can bring this guy back. Not every game, but between the third and the fourth quarter, the the guy, and I'm sorry, I don't have his name. All I know he, is he was Eddie Munson's guitar stunt double in Stranger Things, uh, shredded the national anthem on the electric guitar, electric guitar. Then between the third and fourth quarter, played uh, Master of Puppets by Metallica. And a lot of people are looking around like, what the heck is this? Uh, and then he rips into Welcome to the Jungle, and it really lit up that stadium. Um, everybody's used to hearing the recorded track of that. To hear it live was really, really cool. And the Bengals were – a lot of people have asked if there's a recording of that because nobody knew it was coming. Nobody had their phones up ready to record it. Um, a lot of people have asked me. I checked with the Bengals. There was hope that I was going to be able to to get that video but I found out this morning there are music licensing issues where the Bengals had to pay to, mm. and so they cannot share that with me. So if, if anybody happened to be recording that, I would love to have somebody send that to me um, because I recorded the national anthem, but I did not record Welcome to the Jungle Live. That was cool. We said that in the moment. Like I thought, I you know, I'm like, we're kind of taking shots at Jay for loving things like Pantera and Anthrax, and we're we're naming off all the silly ones <laughs> and giving them a hard time, as we all often do, as you're aware on this show. And then all of a sudden, they rip off the live "Welcome to the Jungle," and you're like, it really was. I was like, oh, that's a nice touch. That that was yeah. a nice. That was a cool touch to have. That kind of what normally is just played uh, off of you know standard Guns and Roses. To that dude ripping it live. That was that was actually pretty. That was pretty cool. I will give you that. That was uh, obviously right up your alley. But uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, I, I certainly appreciated it um, as well. All right, I want to go to another thing pregame, and mine was as we were getting there, getting in the elevator before the game. This is you know three hours or so. Whenever I got there before the game. And uh, waiting for my elevator 
And as I'm standing there waiting, it gets ready to open up, and Jesse Bates comes in. He's holding a bag, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, Jesse, what's going on? Where, what are, where are you going? You know, your locker room's that way, right?" Like, and uh, he's kind of like, "Oh, yeah, I got to go up. I have a bunch of people up in the suite, and I have a bunch of stuff for them. You know, baby formula and food and all kinds of stuff that they needed me to bring in or whatever, because he can only bring in so much stuff, or whatever." And uh, so he's on his way up there. And as we're up there, like the elevator starts malfunctioning. It's just me and Jesse in the elevator. And it's kind of like not opening or like the buttons aren't hitting correctly. And we're kind of like both hitting some buttons. Like what's going on? And I just said, man, I, all I know is this. I am so glad you are here with me because they would just leave me. They would be like, look, I don't know why the elevator's broke. Just leave it. Like maybe Dana will find a way out. But the fact that you're here with me, Jesse, I know <laughs> I'm getting out. Like they're coming to get you. Okay. And uh, it quickly fixed itself and we were able to get open. But it, it was a tense, like if you've ever been in an elevator where something goes wrong, it, it's a tense couple of seconds if it, till it fixes itself. Uh, so it was. Also solved a mystery from early, from a preseason storyline. Jesse just has a suite. We talked about him being in a suite at the preseason game. Remember, it was big news that he wasn't here. Remember that a long time ago? Uh, and he was at the suite for the preseason game against the Rams. What does that mean? How did he get the suite? That's his suite. He actually got a suite. He has his family here all the time. They all come down. He wants to make sure he doesn't worry about tickets or anything like that. They're just set. So uh, as Je Jesse actually has a suite uh, for all games for his friends and family. All right, Jay, you're up. So if any of you people know Bengal players and you want to sneak something into the game that you can't bring in otherwise, just hit them up and they can oh, yeah, help you. Oh, yeah, sure. They'll, get they'll it, get love to do in. that on game day. They love that. <laughs> Um, mine came in the post game. Yours was pregame. Mine was post game. So uh, as you guys, as Paul referenced, I, I try to talk to as many people as possible, especially the 11 that were on the field for the, the Hubbard yard dash. And so I was talking to DJ reader about it and he's giving me all this great stuff and you never see this. It's when they, they, you guys see the locker room celebrations, uh, Zach, uh, has the speech to the team. Uh, someone else will break down the team. He walks out, goes into his press conference. He goes out of the press conference a different way, goes up to his office. Um, he, I was interviewing DJ Reader, and Zach came up, and this was before Sam went in and did his presser. Um, and Sam's just sitting at his locker, kind of staring in, soaking in the moment. And Zach came up to him and started talking to him. And I am just totally ignoring DJ Reader, trying to lean in <laughs> and, and eavesdrop on what Zach is telling Sam because their lockers are right next to each other. And, uh, you know, thank goodness I had a digital recorder running. I could go back and listen to to what DJ was actually telling me. But I just I, I thought that was unique that it, you, you don't see Zach in there a lot. It, it, I, I'm sure it's probably happened before. I can't remember a specific uh, instance, but uh, him going up and uh, no doubt telling Sam how much he appreciated that play. Maybe he was asking him if he wanted to go deliver a game ball. I don't know, but um, uh, it, it was, it was really cool to see those two interacting as I was trying to do my job. Yeah, no, that is, that is great. We, look, we've all done this. If you're in a busy post game locker room and you're talking <laughs> to somebody and it's not that you're not interested, it's that there's a lot happening behind you. You never want to miss something happening. Like, when I was in Cleveland back in the day when the famous Adam Jones, Adam Jones is going live and he does the whole Terrell Pryor's <laughs> trash. You in there? You in there, Terrell? That whole thing, like, I almost missed it because I was listening to somebody. All of a sudden I turn and I see this whole thing happening and I realize I'm not looking at whoever. I still to this day don't even remember who I was talking to and had to be like, <laughs> sorry, and just kind of went because it was happening. And they understand. I went back and apologized later, but it's like that stuff happens 
all the time where you just don't want to miss something and something like that. It, it, it does. Uh, that's funny. That that's, that's a good one. That does happen. Um, okay. I want to shout out, uh, Fisher cross, uh, who got caught <laughs> by the NBC cameras at the end as they were kind of going, leaving the game and they held it on. I mean, they held the shot for like 10 seconds of just this dude, uh, crushing a cigar, chilling, uh, in the stadium, just living it up with the game over. Uh, and Barstool picks it up with a dude's rock caption. Uh, and Fisher Cross able to point out Twitter is just this is a, this is the beauty of social media and Twitter. He able to talk about how I'm living my my best life to the fullest extent. Vibes were immaculate. Who effing day, Joey B. We love you. And added Pat McAfee and me and you, Jay. So shout out Fisher for being a friend of the program and getting your big yes. moment. You know what? If you listen to hear that podcast ground long enough, good things happen to you. Hopefully there's not a statute or hopefully there is a statute of limitations on smoking in public because I don't think you're technically allowed to smoke a cigar in no. the stadium. But no, take it easy. Game, on Look, if you're listening, Bengals security, take it easy on Fisher. Yeah. He's just look, it was a moment. And he deserved it. Yeah. And the players smoke in the locker room. They Nobody's busting them. So yeah. um, I have one from the game. I have not seen Clark Harris around. Uh, it's always kind of when I when I get there, I'm always like, the well, vibes are immaculate. Yeah. Yes. It's like, oh, who, who's who's parked in Clark's spot today? Because he's he's just never around. And if he is, it's not while we're there. Um, and I saw him on the sideline and for the game. And um, I, I had not seen him on the sideline for other game. Maybe he was there. Maybe I just missed him. But I saw him um, early in the game. And then I saw him. Uh, he was the one that was talking to Evan McPherson after the, the the point after. And it's like, you know, these guys talk all the time about uh, feeling disassociated from the team when you're out for the year. You just never really feel a part of it. And I just thought that was really kind of a, a cool scene. You know, there's that relationship there between Clark and Evan. Uh, going back to your great story about their their halftime hijinks at the Super Bowl and uh, just seeing Clark, um, who knows what he was saying. I'm sure it was encouraging and talking him through it. Um, but it was it was really cool to see those two kind of hashing that out on the sideline after uh, what could have been a major miss for Evan McPherson. Clark Harris's return is only good news for us, Jay. Let's just <laughs> yes. hope. We just get Clark back in the locker room just to comment on things. We really once he went out for the year, we really should have tried to get him as a regular weekly guest on the pod. A missed opportunity yeah. by us. Kick Mo off. Give me give me weekly Clarks. <laughs> I'd have been on board for that. Uh, all right. This one, uh, another sort of a pregame thing. It was a social media thing if you missed it. Um, two things. One, uh, Clinton Cole, Kelly Bowling, who you've, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know, we've, we've talked to them about life after retirement for Clint. And it was their first time back in three years going in game. They decided to come back. He goes to a ton of Georgia games because he's down there and they live down that way in, uh, near Athens in, in Atlanta. And so, uh, but hadn't been back and pointed out Ke- Kelly on her Instagram pointing out how uh, she thought it was incredible that because Clint has lost a lot of pounds, you know, he's in a hat and not s- someone actually recognizing Clint, uh, you know, as an anonymous offensive lineman. I think they think that they can just go anywhere. No one would recognize, but someone, someone at their tailgate recognizing Clint, and giving him a shout out to some of the back stuff from back in the day. I thought that was cool. And they, uh, I think they were a little, uh, impressed at an atmosphere that when Kelly was here, it certainly didn't quite look like that when she yeah. was going to games as, as you know, with, uh, that crew with her and Melissa Whitworth and, and all of them. Um, all, but also as a side note to that, 
how great is Ocho Cinco in glasses and a ski mask? Like, I mean, <laughs> trying to see how many people won't notice that it's him. He's got the full ski mask on and a hat. And he's got the he's got his glass. I mean, it was just like I loved it. And you can see him. He's, he's got his Instagram video going. People, how many followers that guy has? People are around, kind of looking like, what is this? Not knowing how many people they're being broadcast to. The fact that it is Chad Ocho Cinco. People were catching on. They would figure it out a little bit, but he was incognito. I love Ocho incognito ocho uh <laughs> one of my favorite things about any Bengals uh game these days that he attends you know kind of piggybacking off of the the bowling i've got an offensive line one too uh yesterday people may not know but uh it's been a while now that zach has given these guys win or lose well there hasn't been any losing but uh it's been known that win or lose they're going to get the players are going to get monday off and so on the guys still come in and get treatment and um we don't have an open locker room because they're not around. Uh, so they will set up a zoom and we'll get a, a couple of players on zoom on, on Mondays. And so normally it's at two yesterday, they moved it up to one thirty, And I think they caught a lot of the media off guard because there was only, it was Richard Skinner, Charlie Goldsmith and I were the only three in the media room when the, when the zoom was getting ready to start and it's start, starting at one thirty, And at one twenty eight, Ted Karras walks into the room and says, should I just take the questions in here? And then he, you were like, oh my God, it, <laughs> no. And he, and he was joking around, but then what he did is like, well, where is he going to take him if he's, he's coming on in two minutes and he just walked right out to the loading dock in the cold and the concrete and sat there and, and took the, the questions of the 15 minute zoom, um, just a total offensive lineman move. And most of these guys are, are comfortable in their house or they'll go into a, a, a room somewhere in the in the Bengals facility and he's just out there like the regular folk on the loading dock in the cold answering our questions. Flashback to how many radio hits I've done from that loading dock over the years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know exactly that. Just you sit down on that. It's weirdly high on the dock. You, you can't quite yeah. get comfortable. It's cold. Many a radio hit done from that dock over the years. Uh I want to shout out our good friends over at Cincy Shirts, Josh Sneed and company for uh, mm-hmm. the the Sam Hubbard Forrest Gump shirt, uh, which is super solid. As a Forrest Gump, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, my dad and I probably watched that movie together uh, maybe a hundred times. Uh, but the Run Hubbard Run with Hubbard's <laughs> face on Forrest Gump um, is uh, is uh, what a, what a shirt. Great idea. Um, and right in time for my dad's 70th birthday here in a couple of weeks. So I'll go ahead and spoil it right here. Uh, that one of those will be coming his way, but just a great, just a great shirt. Great idea. Loved it. Um, my last one here, uh, just the, I mentioned it earlier, the, the celebration videos that the Bengal social media team does and they put on Twitter and all their accounts and, um, duff screaming they got to play us and everybody's gotten used to that and uh sunday night um zach because the the he recognized it was the whole defense that, that came up with that stop and uh gave a game ball to lou anarumo who's way in the background and he he tosses them the ball and then lou runs into the middle of the circle and just emphatically spikes it and fires off a few expletives uh which they bleeped out <laughs> Um, so Lou came in to talk to us yesterday and he talked about how sore his shoulder was from the spike, uh, not something he's used to do. And he runs a lot. He runs sprints every Wednesday. He ran sprints yesterday. He runs with uh, Jordan Kovacs, uh, who's been on our show before the linebackers coach. And, um, he, 
he he was I asked him what he said and and he he didn't want to disclose that but I I you get the sense from from talking to these guys um that and it was uh who was it Jesse Bates yesterday that that said it's going to be good to get back to normal football that playing the yeah. Ravens is, is such a unique offense and and such a mental let alone the physical challenge but a mental challenge um and, and it, it's hard. It's it's really hard, and it's divisional game. It's playoffs. There was a lot. Uh, I'm sure that they were. It was excitement about winning the game and moving on. But uh, I think they were very happy to to put that challenge of playing the Ravens two weeks in a row behind them. And I think a lot of that's what went into that spike by Lou. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Uh, very as Dan Horde said there, and uh, very Gronk like uh, in his uh, in his spike there. Um, on uh, one more Sam thing, I honestly, again, we recorded two podcasts in the walk as I mentioned. I don't know if we've, if I've said this yet, but, uh, I, I had the pleasure of being the one to inform Sam Hubbard, uh, mm-hmm. that his oxygen photo while he was flexing went viral. Uh, and just to see his face, I mean, his eyes got as wide as saucers. And I was like the oxygen photo where you're flexing. And he's like, Oh yeah. To that guy. I was like, Oh Yeah. That is a thing. <laughs> it's real viral and going to be everywhere. I probably said this on the walk up, but again, we recorded two. I can't remember. Yeah. It was the middle of the night. It's been a long week and it's only Tuesday, but I wanted to make sure I got that one out there. Um, my last one is from the Zach Taylor ball delivery video. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Herbers had uh, that has circulated NFL.com or NFL on Twitter put it out. We I know I retweeted it that night. We talked about um, that still going on and uh, at the blind pig. However, there was one element about that that I can't get over. And it reminded me of something that I despise about some bars that are like this. Dude with a microphone that doesn't need to have a microphone in a bar is, just, and I get it. Like he's clearly the DJ, and this must be a very clubby post game environment. That's fine, but the cojones it takes when the head coach of the team that just an hour ago finished winning a playoff game across the street has walked in with a game ball and you yell at him, "Give it to my bartenders! Give it to my bartenders!" You know what? I've got that clip. Let's play it just so in case you haven't heard this. Listen to the man on the microphone. Zach, give it to give it to my bartenders. I mean, that what are we doing? Why are we yelling at the, the head coach that came in? Just how about a nice uh, Zach? I got a mic for you up here, or yeah. hey, Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, who just won a playoff game, is in the building right now. Give the ball. My bartenders deserve that. What is happening? Why are you yelling at the coach? I was I was blown away by that. What and I was like, God, I just unless it's a karaoke environment, 
where someone can come up that knows how to entertain a crowd and can do it properly, can can have that opportunity. No, no mics in in small bars, please. You know, I they Zach was asked about the game ball yesterday about the committee that decides. He's like, you're looking at it, and it's him and Emily Parker who, yes. who runs the social uh, or the social department and in the media relations as well. And um, so I asked later. I said, well, I I, w- I was going to ask in the press conference, and I didn't. If there was, if this was kind of like a secret service sweep where they go check out these bars before having Zach goes in. Cause you don't know what you're going to walk into in any given bar. That's not like they Zach that he Zach said, he's run out of places in Mount lookout to go. He doesn't know what he's walking into in a lot of these places. Um, and they do, they, they had two people go to blind pig ahead of time to give them a heads up that, that he was coming and there was a line out the door and they're like, look, they had to get a hold of security and be like, when we show up, we need to get in right away. We're not waiting in line for him to deliver a ball. And so they <laughs> check his they ID. Did, yeah. Check his ID. Um, so they, they, they got that done. And, uh, I, I love the idea of that, that three of them went local and three of them are being shipped out of town because we, we do, I make this mistake. I will say that a lot of times when we're, we're talking about things, we reference only Cincinnati and there is great people in over in London with Bengals UK. There's, there's people all across the country that are Bengals fans old and new. I mean, Joe Burrow is, there's a lot of people out there that don't really have a team that are falling in love with the Bengals because of Joe Burrow and because of Zach Taylor and what this team is accomplishing. Um, so I think that's the, I, I, the, the balls this time are not going too far away. I think they're going to be out of town as far as outside of Cincinnati, but I would love to see that expand because there are Bengal backer bars. Maybe, I mean, it'd be a great troll job if there's a Bengal backer bar in Baltimore to send one of the game balls there. Um, but uh, I do, I love the idea that they're, they're going to get a few of these outside of the Cincinnati area. Um, yeah, many of those bars sent me videos of their bar celebrating after I mentioned that a bunch <laughs> of them are going out of town petitioning. We want one, uh, I, one in the cat's eye in Athens, please. Right. I mean, I feels, feels like Athens deserves one right at this point. They've all oh, they've given you. Uh, <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's our massive art. Jay, that was what, a, what an epic what an epic That's day of hobbies. What an epic. There's, just, there's just been a lot of stories. One of the things I like about sports in general is in what the fallout, the usually funny fallout of big moments, like in general, for anybody, good, bad, or otherwise, like there's a lot of stuff that you end up that's just chaos that occurs or you laugh at. And this was kind of one of the perfect ones, which is why we had to go in all in on Arby's. All right. Let's wrap it up with a few more quick segments and get out of here. Um, yep. Growler bet recap. Uh, Jay, our growler bets for this past weekend were? Well, we had the carryover because Mark Andrews sat out the season finale, so it was percentage of Baltimore receiving yards by Mark Andrews, and this was sparked by him in week 17 having 100 of their 130 yards. Um, we both ended up high. You went 50. I went 67. The actual number was 32.3%. And we had a winner. We, we said you didn't need the decimal. You just needed the, the number. And Nate Hatton um, had 32%. So congratulations wow. to Nate. Uh, you have won some 50 West beer. Uh, so uh, get in touch with us and we'll, we'll see if maybe you can make it to the next live event, whenever that may be, or if we need to get it to you some other way. Um, or if you're in Buffalo, touch- Nate, 
If or, you're in Buffalo yeah. this weekend, come by Fatty Beer. I will I will buy you some I will buy you some the equivalent of a growler at Fatty Beer if you come to our event with with Tyler Dunn and you're in Buffalo. So congratulations That's to my pocket. That's, we we've not had very many winners. Um and so that it was good to see we got one. Yeah, and that's the other a tough one, one. It was tough. Um, the time of first Bengals takeaway, uh, we gave a two second buffer either way, uh, and still nobody hit it. It was six oh six of the first quarter. Um, I came close. I had seven thirty of the first quarter. Uh, you went fifty two seconds left in the second quarter. Um, so you still have a two growler lead on the season tally. Uh, since we split those. Uh, and I want to shout out my three favorite growler email subject headers. Yes. Look, I'm just, I'm just, there's a, people are pandering to me basically at this point. Like they, they know <laughs> what I'm, I kind of like and they, they hear the things that, that they know that I've been repeating and things like that. So shout out Patrick Sable with We the Big Growlers. I like that. That one is a good one. You know, you know, I love that one. I thought that was kind of encapsulation of the season. It was this year's. Uh, if we win this division, we can win it all. Um, Ray White, of course, the silent assassin legend. Uh, Edgar Grallen Poe, I thought was pretty nice. Mm. Uh, and then Eric Stanzo with deadpan BJ Hill. His name is Growler. Which I appreciated from the Jermaine <laughs> yes. Pratt story last week. Uh, so thank, shout out to you guys for that, and congratulations to Nate Hatton for winning some growler goodness. All right, uh, let's wrap it up with some potpourri here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to start out by outing myself. Last week we talked a bunch about the streaks of teams that uh, teams on streaks entering the playoffs, right? First time in NFL history, three teams with winning streaks of at least seven games entering the playoffs. Never had it happened before. And seven of the last 13 times a team with that long of a streak entered the playoffs, they lost their first game. I kept waiting to think, who would it be? The odds say at least one has to lose this weekend. I mean, if it's about half, better than half, at least one of the three. The Niners rolled. The Bills, they needed every bit of it to survive it. And the Bengals, whoo, they needed every bit of it to survive it. Both of them survived, but all three win, throwing my stat back in my face, making me look bad. But I will open it up here and say, hey, it is what it is. The ball, sometimes the ball bounces the other way of those teams. The point is, uh, I, I think it was partially correct in that those games were so close that people maybe thought that they wouldn't be. Uh, however, uh, throw them right back in my face. Embarrassment for me. So mine uh, is the, the Hubbard, the Hubbard Yard Dash. It extended the Bengals' streak of games in which they have forced a turnover in the fourth quarter. And it ran that number to six. So I was curious where that ranks. Uh, I could only take it back to 1991 um, through Pro Football Reference and Sport Radar. Uh, there's... There's actually quite a few that are longer. Um, there have been a lot of streaks of sevens and eights. Uh, there are 24 longer streaks in NFL history, including one by the Bengals. The longest on record is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from uh, December 29th of 2002 through, 10, through October 26th of 2003. 11 games. Uh, the Bills and Lions both have streaks of 10. There's multiple nines and eights. Uh, the longest in Bengals history 
started at the end of that 2015 season, November 29th, and ran until the opener the following year in New York, um, the the anniversary of 9-11. That was eight games in a row. And they do have one other six-game streak. That was in 1996. Um, so if they can force a fourth-quarter turnover uh, against the Bills, it will push that streak to seven, and they will be one shy of the franchise record. Wow. Um, yeah, quite a run. And good timing for it, right? I mean, when you've yeah. needed it most. And th- there's no surprise that that correlates to a long win streak, you know, when you just seem mm-hmm. like they're always finding ways to make plays and how massive they all have been. I know we've talked a bunch about that. Um, okay. Uh, run passer boot rehash. How'd we do on run passer boots this past weekend? Um, I have had three consecutive boots hit, so I am not doing so well there. Uh, the, the two that we had last week were Bur- will be greater burrow rushing yards, burrow sack yards or burrow incompletions. Um, sack yards, 26. He got sacked four times for 26 yards. Uh, rushing yards and incompletions both matched his jersey number with nine. Uh, you ran with rushing yards, passed on sack yards. I booted sack yards. I ran with incompletions and passed rushing yards. So neither of us hit that, but you were you were better off with the pass, and I had the boot. Um, we both hit the boot on the other one. It was elapsed minutes before the first Bengals TD. Bengals wide receiver receptions, or I'm sorry, Baltimore wide receiver receptions, and then non-big three targets for the Bengals. Um, 15 minutes elapsed before the Bengals got their first touchdown four seconds into the second quarter. Um, Baltimore wide receiver, they had five catches, and the non-big three targets for the Bengals was 11. Um, Like I said, we, we both booted elapsed time before first touchdown, and that's what was greater. All right, run passer boot recap. I want to wrap it up with one final thing. Um, I mentioned this uh, in the walkout, but one of my favorite emails, uh, really favorite moments from this weekend, came from Alex Nicastro, who um, only said that the streak continues in regards to the streak of someone crapping themselves and it being part of a Bengals jersey. Uh, this happened on a, this started on a Q&A that we had a long time ago. He came on and, and said it. He was out there <laughs> with it. Um, and we saw him at the live event, admitted. Mm-hmm. And so he said, the streak continues. That's all it said. The streak continues, all caps, no explanation. I pointed out to him. <laughs> I already regret my decision, but I would like details if you have them. And he fired back this email. So, as I mentioned previously, I have a potty training three-year-old, a one-year-old, and new development, a three-month-old puppy. He just wants the streak to continue at this point, I think. Yeah. Uh, So our home is rife with opportunity. The baby pooped his diaper, and any parent can tell you that once the kid is mobile but is still too young to know what please stop wiggling while I'm changing your diaper, please, oh, God, stop, no, means accidents happen. So I changed him, and this is key, while wearing my Chase jersey and in the midst of his thrashing, got the smallest bit of poop on my hand. Just like Bengals-Ravens, it truly was a game of inches. The streak 
continues. <laughs> All I mean, what a, what a run. What a magical run. Forget the, forget the fourth quarter turnover streak, Jay. This is really where the magic has happened here uh, for the Bengals this year. Shout out, Alex, for uh, your open admission and, and all your dealings with feces because uh, obviously it's, it's, you're putting in the hard work, the real unsung hero uh, of the last couple of months. So, all right, on that note, thanks everybody for listening <laughs> to the podcast and sticking with us through a a weird and wild edition of HTPG. We will be back with a little bit more of like a game tone. We got a little little weird on this one. We will actually talk about, you know, Josh Allen and the Bills. And uh, we'll be joined by our good friend, now friend of the program, Eric Wood. Uh, we'll be back yeah. with us on Thursday. Excited about that as we dive all into Bengals, Bills, Divisional Playoff Sunday at 3 o'clock in Orchard Park. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.